Number two of London, Ancient and Modern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter one, London from the Sanitary Point of View, Part two, Gardens and Pleasure Grounds, Health of Old London. Gardens and Pleasure Grounds these ecclesiastical foundations generally had gardens attached to them and in the time of henry the eighth and the subsequent tudor monarchs who discouraged building in london the houses were by no means so closely packed as at present it is usual to find in walled cities that the houses are packed as closely as possible within the walls but this most certainly was not the case in london a glance at agassiz or rither's map a copy of which is given in mr lofty's admirable history of london will convince one of this the houses enclose a great deal of garden ground in every direction especially in the northern and northeastern portions of the city it was along the river bank that the crowding of houses was greatest but even here there were open spaces and i must remind you that pepys who lived in seething lane in the time of charles the second when the crowding in the city had very much increased makes frequent mention of his garden mr lofty tells us that in twelve seventy six an inquiry was held as to the cause of death of one adam shot who had fallen from a pear-tree in the garden of one lawrence in the parish of st michael paternoster which was close to thames street st martin pomeroy a church formerly in ironmonger lane is supposed to have derived its name from an adjoining orchard we know that sir john crosby built crosby place now a restaurant in bishopsgate street on part of the land forming the gardens of the adjoining convent of st helens sir thomas gresham's house in bishopsgate street also had its garden and we know that the college of physicians had a physic garden first at amen corner and subsequently in warwick lane the priory of the augustinians or austin fathers included a large tract of land a part of it was given to the marquis of winchester who built winchester house which occupied the site of winchester street and buildings in old broad street and draper's hall was originally the house of thomas cromwell who made what till a very few years since was known as draper's garden by the simple process of stealing portions from the gardens of his neighbours they not daring to quarrel with so great and so arbitrary a person immediately outside the walls was any amount of open space the houses of the nobles along the strand had each of them its ornamental garden the templars had their garden which still remains the priory of st bartholomew had its garden the carthusians at the charter house had their garden hotspur lived in aldersgate street prince rupert lived in barbican and the dismal spot now known as bridgewater square was once occupied by the earl of bridgewater's house and garden old gerard the herbalist had his garden in holborn where he raised the potato and he superintended burley's garden in the strand hatton gardens were famous when sir christopher hatton lived there in state gray's inn garden was planted by francis bacon grocer's hall had its garden with hedgerows and a bowling alley the merchant tailors the ironmongers the salters and the barber surgeons had each of them gardens attached to their halls 
the chief garden or pleasure ground for the citizens was moorfields this was originally a wild undrained place which extended from the city wall right away to the villages of islington and hoxton according to lofty it appears that in twelve seventy four the citizens called in question certain acts of the previous mayor one walter hervey they accused him of certain presumptuous acts and injuries and the first of these appears to have been that he had not attended at the exchequer to show the citizens title to the moor from this it would appear that over six hundred years ago moorfields was regarded as a common for the use and enjoyment of all and it appears to have been used more or less for these purposes down to the close of the last century and it is to be found in all maps moorfields was used for archery and for exercising the train bands that is it was so used after it was drained which was first attempted in the fifteenth century at one time the people living near moorfields put up fences and showed a disposition to encroach on the moor but the citizens taking the law into their own hands levelled the obstructions when moorfields had been drained a part of it was planted and it became a fashionable promenade and in some maps it is shown as planted with intersecting avenues according to mr denton the historian of cripplegate the northern part of moorfields was the property of the dean and chapter of st paul's being leased merely to the corporation together with the manor of finsbury the southern part however was according to the same authority the gift of catherine and mary fines to the city corporation in trust for the citizens finsbury square was built on the northern part in seventeen sixty eight and finally in eighteen twelve the corporation obtained an enabling act from parliament and put finsbury circus on the lower half and thus perished the people's park after existing eight hundred years the building upon this open space was a very short-sighted policy and it says very little for the spirit of londoners that such a policy was able to be carried out the first encroachments on moorfields took place probably after the fire when thousands of citizens were homeless and the moor was used as a temporary place of encampment many of the houses then erected appear to have been fairly substantial and it is probable that encroachments having been made in consequence of a sudden and dire necessity and possession being nine points of the law the city of london lost its park part of moorfields had been used during the plague as a plague pit and towards the end of the seventeenth century the great burial ground for dissenters bunhill fields was here established the artillery ground once the exercising ground of the train bands still remains and it is fortunate that the extinction of the honourable artillery company has been averted and has not resulted in this eligible building plot being leased at so much a square foot moorfields is gone the raper's garden is gone and the wealthy city of london has now the proud distinction of being without any public recreation ground within its limits it is true that the corporation has bought epping forest in the county of essex and burnham beaches in the county of buckinghamshire and all honour to them for so doing but it must be remembered that a third-class return ticket to Loughton, the centre of Epping Forest, cost one shilling seven pence, 
and that to go from and return to Fenchurch Street takes one and a half hours, while a return third-class ticket from Mansion House to Slough, which is, I think, the station for Burnham Beaches, costs three shillings sixpence, and the journey to and from takes four hours at least, so that if each of the fifty-one thousand people who reside in the city pay one visit to each of their parks, they would do so at a minimum cost of nearly thirteen thousand pounds, and at a necessary loss, collectively, of two hundred and eighty-one thousand hours, which at three pence an hour means an additional three thousand five hundred pounds it is at least doubtful whether if moorfields could be restored as a playground for the city it would not be of more use to the city from the point of view of the health of those who dwell in it than are the essex and buckinghamshire estates almost every inch of available ground in the city has been built upon goodman's fields once a farm where stowe used to buy three pints of milk for a halfpenny is now covered with houses spitalfields was once an open space but it is an open space no longer paternoster square has its centre packed with buildings and for aught i know there is nothing to prevent the occupation in a similar way of the centres of finsbury square and circus lincoln's inn fields the gardens of the temple and gray's inn of russell and bloomsbury square and in short of every inch of green that can be turned into money the gradual obliteration of open spaces in london is seen not only in public and semi-public spaces but also in the curtilage of private houses before the introduction of our modern system of sewage and water supply it was not possible to build houses without adequate curtilage for a well and the bestowal of refuse and this obvious fact is borne out by a reference to the maps of fifteen fifty eight sixteen fifty eight and seventeen twenty which are hung upon the screen it is noteworthy that newcourt's map of the time of charles the second shows that the houses in the city were much more closely packed than in the time of elizabeth and it is probable that just before the plague and the fire the crowding of houses was excessive the diagram page twenty three shows the growth of london between fifteen sixty and eighteen eighty nine the notable features being a the very rapid extension of the london area since eighteen fifteen and b the fact that the marshy land south of the thames has only been covered with buildings within comparatively recent times the frontispiece is a reproduction of part of newcourt's map sixteen fifty eight showing that the houses in the centre of london were very densely packed it also shows the position of moorfields and the draper's gardens which are alluded to in the text health of old london that mediaeval london was very unhealthy there is no question but whether it was more or less unhealthy than other cities of the time is doubtful it would be difficult however to conceive a worse state of public health than that prevalent in old london exact information on the subject is not to be had it was not till fifteen ninety three that deaths were registered and published by the parish clerks but the record of deaths without a knowledge of population does not make it possible to hazard even a guess at the death rate 
the parish clerk's bills of mortality show clearly that from fifteen ninety three to the year eighteen hundred i e for two hundred and seven years the deaths invariably exceeded the births and often to an enormous extent the maximum being reached in the memorable year sixteen sixty five when the deaths were eighty seven thousand three hundred and thirty nine as against nine thousand nine hundred and sixty seven births taking the whole of the eighteenth century it would appear from a table given by henderson in the encyclopaedia britannica that of the births and deaths registered the excess of the latter averaged about six thousand a year or six hundred thousand for the century at one time leprosy was common in london and we know that in the reign of edward the third the black death which was probably plague committed frightful ravages and is said to have killed a hundred thousand in london and this scourge reappeared at intervals up to the year sixteen sixty five the mortality then being enormously in excess of the very high mortality which was habitual between fourteen eighty five and fifteen fifty one there were epidemics of the sweating sickness a disease different from plague but scarcely less deadly we all know what epidemics of plague and sweating sickness did for london but it may be thought that epidemics are accidental visitations and are no criterion of the general health of the city the numbers i have quoted from henderson will make it impossible for us to believe that old london was at any time healthy not even after the fire and the rebuilding what were the chief ordinary diseases of london this question may be answered by reference to the bills of mortality i will take the year sixteen sixty one when nineteen thousand seven hundred and seventy one deaths were registered by the parish clerks and will note those diseases which are credited with more than a hundred deaths these were abortive and stillborn five hundred and eleven chrisms and infants fourteen hundred ague three thousand four hundred and ninety dysentery bloody flux scouring and flux three hundred and fourteen childbed two twenty four aged one thousand three hundred and two apoplexy and suddenly one hundred and eight colic one hundred and eighty six consumption three thousand seven hundred eighty eight convulsions one thousand one hundred ninety eight dropsy and tympany nine hundred and sixty seven flocks and smallpox one thousand two hundred and forty six griping in the guts one thousand sixty one jaundice one hundred and forty one imposthume one sixty measles one eighty eight rickets four hundred and thirteen rising of the lights two twenty seven spotted fever and purples three hundred and thirty five stopping of the stomach one hundred and seventy surfeit two hundred and twelve teeth and worms one thousand one hundred ninety five looking at the table and using the best of my judgment in interpreting it i should say that about one-fourth of the deaths were due to the accidents of parturition and the diseases of infants and another fourth due to fevers it is to be noted also that plague is answerable for twenty deaths although this was not a plague year what were the causes of the high mortality of old london 
the situation was not healthy because of the marshy surroundings of the city ague and dysentery were always present and were terribly fatal not only was the ground around the city marshy but it was probably filthy as well the old town ditch was used as a receptacle for all kinds of filth and the cleansing of it was a great work which was only occasionally undertaken when moorfields was drained and the other marshy districts improved one great cause of sickness disappeared the city itself was certainly as foul as could be the streets were unpaved or paved only with rough cobblestones there were no sidewalks the houses projected over the roadway and were unprovided with rainwater gutters and during a shower the rain fell from the roofs into the middle of the street these streets were filthy from constant contributions of slops and ordure from animals and human beings there were no underground drains and the soil of the town was soaked with the filth of centuries this sodden condition of the soil must have affected the wells to a greater or less extent the streets were filthy without the houses were filthy within the rooms of the poor were more like pigsties than human habitations unventilated and strewn with rushes which were seldom changed and the wretched inhabitants closely packed in these miserable hovels must have become very prone to suffer from infection of all kinds another great cause of unhealthiness was the diet which amongst the poor was composed largely of salt meat and fish and with an absence of fresh vegetables so that many of the inhabitants must have been on the verge of scurvy the potato was not imported till the end of the sixteenth century and the eighteenth was well advanced before it became a common article of diet much of the improvement in public health of late years is due to this wholesome and easily stored vegetable in the days of elizabeth the children of christ's hospital were often ill from scurvy and it was not till seventeen sixty seven that the potato was introduced into the dietary of st bartholomew's hospital a most important factor in the causation of disease was the moral condition of the population which was very low and marked by superstition ignorance and brutality an age when even the better classes crowded into smithfield to see some poor wretch burnt when the most brutal punishments were inflicted for comparatively slight offences when kings beheaded their subjects and even their wives almost as a matter of course when the ghastly heads of executed persons stared from the city gates when religious-minded puritans could do nothing with a misguided king but behead him and when restored monarchy exhumed the dead bodies of political offenders in order that it might wreak an unmeaning vengeance on a corpse and when even ladies in good positions in society flocked to see these sickening exhibitions was not an age in which the nobler feelings of christianity were easily evoked and without these feelings measures for securing public health which cannot be fostered except in connection with public decency found no place among the ideas of governors or governed the public amusements were many of them brutal and cruel tournaments were less brutal than bear-baiting bull-baiting and cock-fighting because they fostered animal courage 
but animal courage it most distinctly was fitzstephen mentions the drunkenness of the population in the twelfth century and there can be little doubt that when beer was the only drink the drink which queen elizabeth took for breakfast a state of fuddle from drink must have been exceedingly common from chamberlain's present state of england i gather that in the year after the fire four hundred and fifty two thousand five hundred and sixty three barrels of strong beer at twelve shillings sixpence the barrel five hundred and eighty thousand four hundred and twenty barrels of ale at sixteen shillings the barrel and four hundred and eighty nine thousand seven hundred and ninety seven barrels of small beer at six shillings sixpence the barrel were consumed in london which if we take the population at that time at five hundred thousand allows about three barrels or one hundred and eight gallons or some one thousand four hundred and forty pints per head per annum again chamberlain speaking of the causes of the great fire mentions one the drunkenness and supine negligence of the baker and his servants in whose house it began two the dead time of night wherein it began when some were wearied with working others filled with drink and all in a dead sleep the brutality of the people's amusements continued down to the end of the last century and later thus in pink's history of clerkenwell i find the following advertisement called from a journal of seventeen sixteen Quote, at the bear garden at hockley in the hole at the request of several persons of quality on monday the fourth of this instant of june is one of the largest and most mischievous bears that ever was seen in england to be baited to death with other variety of bull baiting and bear baiting as also a wild bull to be turned loose in the game place with fireworks all over him to begin exactly at three o'clock in the afternoon because the sport continues long close by in spa fields female prize-fights were held and there is a lively account of one of these encounters in which bruising peg terribly damaged her antagonist in such a time of course footpads abounded and it was not without danger that persons crossed spa fields after dark and those who were invited to saddler's wells to see a man eat a live cock feathers and all for a wager of five pounds were informed that the new road and city road would be patrolled and that the return home would be without danger such facts as these which i could multiply to any extent show the rough moral condition of the populace and i believe that with such a state of moral feeling any real improvement in public health was impossible another cause of the high death rate was superstition which regarded disease as a visitation which had to be borne without question or inquiry with such an attitude towards epidemics which by some were regarded as due to an unfortunate conjunction of certain planets it is not to be wondered at that the epidemics were mismanaged and it is certainly difficult to imagine any measure better calculated to cause the spread of the plague than that of forbidding those affected to leave their houses and compelling them to stay indoors and infect the rest of the household 
the most efficient of all measures which we nowadays adopt for preserving the public health is that of the instant separation of the sick from among the healthy a plan which had been adopted in old time in the case of leprosy and which we reintroduced in the last century when the first smallpox hospital was built another great cause of the high mortality was the ignorance of the physicians who were almost as superstitious as the populace and who were entirely without any exact or correct knowledge of their art which they practised almost entirely by the light of the old greek roman and arabian writers to recapitulate the causes of the high death rate were probably the following one the prevalence of ague from the abundant marshes two the dirt of the city and the houses and the probable infection of wells from a soil sodden with putrefactive matter three the ill-nourished drunken and scorbutic condition of the people and four their condition of superstition and brutality which made any rules for public health impossible five the neglect to separate the infected from the healthy six the ignorance of the doctors we may get some idea of the state of public health during the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries by a reference to the families of monarchs the difficulty of rearing children was very largely experienced in royal families i have by the help of burke's peerage made a list of all the children of monarchs other than those who ascended the throne whose ages at death are given by that genealogist this difficulty of rearing children which began in the reign of edward the third becomes very marked with the reign of henry the eighth who as we are told by froude was disappointed by a succession of stillborn children born to him by his first wife of the children of james i three out of five died under three of the children of charles i the ages at death were twenty-nine twenty-six twenty fifteen four and one of eleven children of james the second by two wives one the old pretender attained the age of seventy-eight and of another the age is doubtful but eight died under four and two others died at eleven and fifteen of the six children of anne one reached the age of eleven and the remaining six died under one year with the accession of george i this difficulty of rearing royal families appears to have ceased having been more or less marked during the reigns of twenty-one monarchs intervening between edward the third and george the first what the cause may have been i will not discuss but i mention the fact because it is probable that causes which affected kings affected subjects also there can be no doubt that down to the commencement of the present century london was a veritable fever-bed the causes of death being largely malarial fever spotted or typhus fever plague smallpox measles scarlet fever and whooping cough the two latter being comparatively recent introductions end of number two